Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast. Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast, your first and last stop for NFL chat. If you're happy with only 40 minutes of NFL chat a week, you might want more than that, but come here first. I'm Nick Duncanson, and joining me today is Inside Zone Editor-in-Chief Tom Like, as usual. Um, I'm, I'm getting a bit bored of you, to be honest, Tom, but I guess you will do today. Um, <laughs> hi. Sorry, hi. That's, that's a really nice way to that's welcome okay. you, isn't it? Okay. Getting used to it. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. After a Dolphins victory, I'm feeling buoyant this week. Buoyant like a dolphin. There we go, yeah. I guess a dolphin's buoyant. Uh, they, so. We'll let it slide. Yeah. Right. What are we talking about today after that awkward intro? Um, well, it's been a bit of a week for suspensions and some of the more quiz-inducing over-physical side of the game, so we're going to talk about that we're going to do some quarterback chat we've got the um over in the nfc west because russell wilson is he making an mvp run and how did um ex new england dreamboat jimmy garoppolo get on in his first game for the niners oh and taking a we'll be taking a sideways look at the mess at metlife i've come up with that myself um so who might the next giants head coach and general manager be and i guess we have to talk about cleveland sacking sashi brown uh but first oh no, this is a sad thing. I'm not going to start with something chirpy like that. But first, let's start off with, like I said, what's been a bit of a queeze-inducing weekend for the NFL when it comes to um, some of the more violent hits. I mean, first up to the AFC East, where um, all-round goofy jock Rob Gronkowski has got himself into some hot water after taking some exception to Tredavious White's coverage, I guess. Gronk, having seen a Brady pass apparently picked off, um, the play would not ultimately be ruled a pick, turn around and shoulder-charged the prone right, who had it back to Gronk in the head. White um, was paced into concussion protocol. He'd probably miss a game. Um, and apparently it's his first career concussion. Gronk also that... picked up a one game for the incident. As you said, that's the thing that for me that is the most prevalent is the fact that this is someone who has never suffered a concussion in their career before and is now out of a game. And, you know, once you get one concussion, it's something where you'll, you become more prone to them. So this, this, this is that's the thing that I, I... You can continue here, but that's what I took most... Most away from it was the fact that the guy hadn't suffered a concussion before, but now had done so because of a cheap shot. That's that's what I was most annoyed about. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm one million percent sure Rob Gronkowski had absolutely no idea he had no career concussions. Not that that's a factor. It's yeah. just kind of, it's that sort of thing that makes us feel a bit uncomfortable about the sport. I think wider than just this one hit. Um, but more sort of on the sport than that, because we had the ugly, ugly Monday night game in the AFC North. Um, the Steelers and the Bengals played each other. I say played. They mostly just attempted to injure each other, as is now the usual yeah. when these two met. And what was so bizarre about this is that we had that terrifying injury that Ryan Shazier picked up just in the course of play. And this was early on. And all of this that we were about to talk about happened after that, happened in the context of that, which is, which sort of just makes it bizarre. Because first we had Juju Smith-Schuster, who um, laid out Vontes Burfecht with an illegal block. Um, bad enough. Um, Perfect. Um, was listed as having a head injury. I think, from what I understand, he's in the concussion protocol also. Smith so just then stands over him to gloat. You just give someone a concussion. Okay, it's Vontes Perfect. I get that he is an uh, absolute idiot. But there's just but don't do that. The, the, That's terrible. The Smith Schuster block was very similar to the one Heinz Ward did um, years and years ago. But 
the Smith the Smith Schuster one, that's a crackback block, that's illegal. But if he was perhaps six inches lower, you know, that would have been a you know a great block for a wide receiver. And I think a lot of people will will say it's probably karma because of how Vontez Perfect has acted throughout his career. So I I was I was going to focus on this because that's what Antonio Brown said, and and I mean you know, I it, it's it's. It's not. I mean, it's not karma. That's not. No, it's not karma. No, no. It's not a complete misunderstanding. And I get I, it. Karma. When karma is being used as an excuse for violent revenge, then I think you know, people need to kind of just stop being idiots and stop um, <laughs> the Dalai Lama's still living body. Um, karma, obviously, Buddhist concept. Um, anyway, because but going back to the game, we also had um, Bengal safety George Iloka who. Yeah responded to that hit with a bit of headhunting himself he went straight in helmet first on antonio brown as brown had just caught a touchdown and you sort of watch this and you watch brown's head jerk oh. back when helmet helmet hit it's pretty grim looking it's grizzly isn't brown, it yeah. brown apparently isn't in the concussion protocol so i don't really know how that is but that's just sheer luck because that yeah. is a hit that is designed to give someone concussion and both Smith-Schuster and Eloka picked up one single-game bans, as is a thing. And we've had a bit of grousing from players, some valid, some not-so-valid. Seals Mike Mitchell managed both, um, correctly <laughs> railing against the general inconsistency of punishment in the NFL, wondering how um, players have gotten to this mess that they have with the um, collective bargaining agreement. But then he started garbling some nonsense about the game becoming flag football. Mike, oh. listen, if it's between flag football and a player's a sport where players are literally deliberately knocking chunks off the lifespan of a player because that's what medicine tells us that these hits be they concussive or subconcussive are doing then you know i think maybe flag football would be preferable if it if it's that rather than this rather than the blood sport i mean heck I've, i mean my my feeling is sorry no go on well there's there's going to be rule change the nfl has said as such i mean they have come out and said that they will look into some sort of targeting rule which is currently um you know that currently exists in the college football game. They have the targeting rules, which have proved mm, hugely controversial so far. Because if you target the player's head, then no doubt you should be chucked out of the game. But when players are falling, going to ground, and you are forced to go lower and necessarily hit the head, then it, it becomes a kind of a, a borderline case. It's, it's quite difficult to, to police then. Yeah, if a player is already going to the ground, though. Then they're about to be down. Yeah, I think that's where common sense and the referees needs to come into play, and it probably hasn't done in college football so far. But I think there would. I mean, I, be... I... no, go, no on, go on. Go on. What are you saying? Well, I was just going to say I would err on the side of caution. I could, I could happily cope with a handful of players being yeah. un- unfairly ejected if it means that you know the next um, next NFL player who would who would be kind of like massively deteriorating mentally following his career and having no quality of life. Has a slightly better life. I'm not being funny, but if you bring these rules in, then you're more likely to have a. I know fans are like, oh, it's worsening the product, if worsening is a word, but, you know, deteriorating the product. But at the end of the day, this is a league now where we're having guys like Patrick Willis, Calvin Johnson. They're retiring young because they get, you know, they don't want, they don't want to end up, you know, old men with yeah, severely I, depleted I mean, injuries. Chris Borland was sort of the, uh, the one for me who sort of really highlighted that, that, um, um, San Francisco third round pick in played a season in the league and then retired um, because he didn't want. To, basically, said, "You know, I've earned a year's worth of money. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I don't. I want to have some quality of life in my later life." And 
people and, and, and some of the more dim-witted fans obviously criticise him for this and, and where would sport be without dim-witted fans? Um, but there's really no no rational reason to have a decision like that. I mean, if everyone thought that, obviously there'd be no sport. But, I mean, that's not really for the fans to complain. They're not the ones who are putting themselves... Well, I mean, some of the Bills fans, how much they drink, they're putting their bodies through a amount of stress. But that's neither here nor there. Oh, I mean, in, in, I mean, in a, in a general it's... sense, I just... To sort of, I feel like we could kind of grouse and ourselves do, yeah. and kind of on this for ages. But I mean, my feeling, I mean, the Gronk hit is downright idiocy. I think I've given him a two-game ban and then moved At on least, because yeah. I don't think yeah. I, I don't think that's sort of the issue here because that's just someone being an an idiot and it's a, it's, it's a it's one-off not, fashion it's, it's, it's not it's not so it's, much that it's Gronk's the first time offender. It's no, the, that sort of thing is so obviously flagrant. It's yeah. not going to ever become a part of the game this is why i hate is that everyone's like oh it's gronk you know he's a frat boy he's an idiot but it wasn't an idiot move it was a malicious move where someone had made up in their mind they wanted to inflict pain on someone who was lying prone that's it's people giving him a passing you know like you were saying first time offender he's an idiot but that that's what really i think she should i feel like it was i feel like it was a bit more of just a reaction play reaction action as it were but that's I mean, again, that's neither here nor there. Because for me, again, because that's not going to be something that is ever going to be part of the game. It's not no, a problem. No. I mean, but for me, it's the Steelers and the Bengals. I don't know. They need to, as a, as a two uh, of them, when they play each other, they need to sort their. I'm going to swear here. They need to sort <laughs> out. They need to stop channeling their inner Ben Thatcher every time they meet. Otherwise, because what happens is that we get this sort of petty score settling and the knife and eye is making the entire pennsylvania and ohio go blind I'm, I'm, and then that'll be it for the sport that and the, the and, I, and i've mentioned a kiko alonso hit earlier in the year um on um joe flacco i'll mention that because that was pretty ridiculous legal, as well legal but it, yeah okay yeah that was... yeah i mean it doesn't matter if it's a legal hit if it's going to turn people off the nfl because it's just sickening um i mean yeah. legal doesn't matter if it makes me feel it made me feel crazy to watch it the I loke it especially um, made yeah. me feel queasy watching it. That's what we. That's what we need to stop, and that's what. I mean, chill out seems such a glib I, thing to say, but you've got to start somewhere. I think to put a bow on it, what we're both hinting at and alluding to is that at some point the players have to self-police themselves and realize that these are other athletes who are trying to make money, have a career. At some point, we need to start looking after each other and not trying to take each other's head off i think that is that's definitely something that, that must come into the discussion but it, it could be on the players themselves I, I, th- I think it's on everyone to be honest as far as i can tell across the league and it, it and it i think it comes from consistent punishments at the top and a more collegiate approach to um player league relationship where players are treated with a bit more respect i think that kind of lightens the feeling i think you know i get it, it's about finding a balance between being really fired up and being going on the pitch and just doing being violent. I think there's, knock, there's something knock someone's head off. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's at all levels. And yeah, True. I think that I think that I think we should probably put a wrap on that. And yeah. I, we probably shouldn't have talked about it first, really, because you've all kind of heard, heard us lecture and preach and stuff. And now we're actually going to talk about football we because go. we're going to move on to less ugly topics. And Nano Bubble Supremo Russell Wilson spearheaded the Seattle Seahawks 24-10 upset of the Eagles on Sunday night. Um, and I, I want to ask you this, Tom. Um, is Russell Wilson putting together an MVP caliber season? 
Wilson throwing caught. Jimmy Graham smoking hot in the red zone. And that's the first touchdown Philadelphia's allowed in the first quarter of the season. Definitely, he has to be in the conversation. I mean, when you talk about college football, the Heisman, you talk of someone's Heisman moment. I think the win Sunday against Philadelphia was Russell Wilson's signature win, the signature game that he needed for his resume for this year. I think he's firmly planted himself in the same category as Carson Wentz, Tom Brady this year. He's playing at an exceptional level. Everything he does is just so effortless, and he's the entire offense of one of the best teams in football right now. I mean, his level of play warrants to to, to place him in the discussion. I yeah, I mean, it, it he'll never quite put up the stats, and stats obviously are are considered a lot by people. Yeah, I mean, but... the the thing the thing for me is is it again? It's it's the um, phraseology of most valuable player, it's and the v. I think it's rec- the v in, it, in recent yeah. years. Yeah, in recent years, it's become a sort of an outstanding performer award. I think there's a big gap between how important Russell Wilson is to Seattle than, say, what Matt Ryan was to Atlanta last year. Oh. Last year, Matt Ryan was statistically great, but as a very balanced offense with you know, Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman, and Tevin Coleman, um, but, it was a very good offense all around. This is not. This is why, I get, yet, this is why I get annoyed Wilson. at Wilson. Yeah. I, I feel like Tom Brady is the offensive player of the year. He has been the best offensive player this year in the league, bar none. I feel like we forget how great Brady is because we're used to it. If anyone else in the league put up 25-plus TDs against only four interceptions, they'd be a lock for the for the MVP. But I think Brady is the offensive player of the year. I think if we're going to make MVP and put the V in capital for most valuable, then I think you have to give it to, to Russell Wilson. He accounts for 82% of his team's offense. He's the leading rusher for the team. He makes this team tick. He makes it go. And he's doing a lot with not a lot of not a lot of weapons. He's in a similar sense to Brady is. I think he's playing. It, it's really interesting watching him, watching how he passes and comparing it. Because what, one thing he's got that not a lot of, not every quarterback does is absolutely fantastic touch. Yeah. Um. Both the, the first two t- touchdown passes against them, Philadelphia, and the one to Doug Baldwin that was nearly a touchdown, then was basically ruled that he was out of bounds. Short. Yeah. I mean, he had fantastic placement and um. Not overthrowing it, not over rocketing it towards right. receivers. Um, just sort of the floated pass. The, the Baldwin one was a deep pass that was essentially floated. It was, a, and yeah. that's and, and 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 it was a completely completely safe pass. It was intelligent and it had fantastic touch. I mean, I I'm I mean you, you sort of say about Tom Brady. I'm not I'm not convinced that you're that we're not sort of underselling how valuable Tom Brady is to New England oh, because no. I mean it's not. It's it's not an amazing you know it, it it's a it's a cast of players who have become amazing in New England and there is always this nagging doubt as to how good they would be. I mean, has Brandon Cooks been a better player in New England than New Orleans because he's um was was being misused in New Orleans and being miscoached? Well, I mean, it, New Orleans are generally mm. quite good with their receivers, so yeah. it maybe it's just that they're in a system to elevate. Maybe it's just that they've got a quarterback to elevate and that Tom Brady is this one step above Drew Brees, for example. Um, who gets the MVP? It's tricky, isn't it? I, th- I think Wilson is more important. And I think that, I think that's going to play a big part, but he doesn't, he doesn't play seem to, he doesn't appear to play full games that often. It seems like he's having to, I mean, and there is obviously something to be said for getting, Seattle to come from sort of you know a tight game to bursting out in front in a way that actually Wentz did thinking of the Cow- Cowboys game, um, 
but he can sometimes look like he's not doing very well. And I'm not really sure where this is, it, because it, it could be a supporting cast. It could be game planning, because like, he, he does seem to be a little bit of a slow starter. And I, oh. and I wonder if sort of people watching a game will see a bit of Wilson struggling, and that's kind of, that's in their mind. Well, it's the fact that he hasn't got a, you know, he hasn't got a run game. I don't think anyone in that roster has got over 300 yards rushing this year. It's just the incompetence, yeah. incompetency of, of that offense. I mean, he is single-handedly holding it all together. He He's keeping all those pieces together, and he is... I don't know. He's such a unique player, and that I feel like we take for granted just how good he is out of the pocket because we're exposed to it, Aaron Rodgers. But if you look at what Russell Wilson's doing this year, he's an extremely fun player to watch. And he, I, I, I get annoyed when I hear people say that he's not quite Wentz or, or Brady this year. But I, I think he's firmly in that conversation. I think I think he should be even more so after Sunday's victory. Yeah, and and just just to put stopping talking about Russell Wilson because I think we've kind of gone as far as we can. What will be interesting yeah. is to see. The, to compare next year, he, him, and Deshaun Watson, and what Watson can do in his second year. Yeah. Because I think, while I think there are um, cosmetic similarities, I think there are a heck of a lot of differences that will really become apparent between the two styles of play, and it will make people think that there's more than one way that you can win with a mobile quarterback, which is, again, probably what the NFL needs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, shall we? Shall we move on? Um, and shall we segue neatly into another quarterback? Um, Jimmy Garoppolo made his debut for the Santa Clara 49ers, um, putting up a stat line against the actually quite defensively solid Bears of 26 of 37, um, 293 yards, no touchdowns, an interception. Um, the interception was essentially Kyle Fuller snatching the ball out of Lewis Murphy's hands. It was a fantastic defensive play. It was essentially a completed pass that before Murphy had fallen down, Fuller had ripped the ball from out of him. So that's not on Garoppolo. And I like what I saw. I yeah. saw a quarterback calm in the pocket. I, I mean... He's willing to wait there and take a hit when completing a pass. Love, love, loves a bit of play action, obviously. I think I think that's partly Shanahan's offense. But, you know, willingness to buy into that is a pretty good start if he's only been there a few weeks. Um, yep. We saw accuracy. We saw the confidence to try and thread a needle. Um, the, the, I can't remember who the pass was to. It might have also been to Murphy. But he threaded it into triple coverage. And it looks at first glance like quite a dangerous throw. Um, I know interviews after the game, Niners were saying, oh, it's not a dangerous throw, it's not a dangerous throw. I'll take their word for it. They know the scheme. Um, I mean, he's willing to progress through his reads. We know when quarterbacks are coming in without much experience, that is a big problem. You know, yeah. if you're if you're Deshaun Kaiser, your your um, first read is if your first read fails, your second read is to pump fake to your first read and run. Um, and the, I know Niners players went a bit loopy comparing him to Brady, but it it is very tangible towards the mental side of the game, towards the ability to think and the ability to make intelligent decisions not not check that all the time but i mean he was, it was there was a lot of stuff down the seam there was a lot of stuff over the middle of the field um i don't know if that more reflects where the strengths of the niners lie but it, it shows someone who is a fair way along a fair way further along than you would necessarily expect for a quarterback who's only started two um two games which obviously obviously it would be given that he's been in the league for three years now is it I believe three so, yeah. or four, four three four, years yeah four? um Oh, what, Friend, when was he drafted? Was it 2013, I believe? He was the same as Bridgewater, wasn't it? Was that No, it was Bridgewater 2014 yeah, draft. Oh, Christ. It was the Derek Carr draft. That's 2014. So this I would believe. be his 2014. 2014. Yeah. So this would be his fourth year in the league. Yeah. Um, what did you see, Tom? Well, I agree with you. No. I mean, he certainly passed the eye test. You, you, you watched him play, and he just looked like an NFL quarterback. He was in command, in control. And when these young guys come in, 
you know, it's frantic. They're seeing ghosts leaving the pocket early. You can tell that he's been in the league four years, which we can now confirm. Uh, the game totally has slowed down for him. He's scanning the field, seeing the field well, progressing for his reads, not escaping the pocket, uh, you know, willy-nilly. He's doing it when it's needed to. I I was very impressed with him. I know they won the game on field goals, but I think if you're a Niners fan, you can safely say that you've seen the future of your franchise play callback right now. I mean, he looked head and shoulders above what CJ Bethard was giving them so far in the season. And I think with John Lynch there, they've got the most amount of cap room to spend this season. If they can get some pieces on offense through the draft and uh, also through free agency for him, they've got some nice pieces there on defense as well. I think the Niners could honestly be next year's Rams, where we're talking about a potential scenario where they turn from one of the worst in the league to a potential juggernaut. Yeah, I, I think fi- finding him um, some people to throw to will be um, key and see how he can kick on. And I think I think that needs to be a draft and free agency. Yeah, generally say. Um, we'll see where it goes. Will Will Saquon Barkley be in play? Will it be Calvin Ridley, the um, wide receiver out of Alabama, who looks sensational? Will it be a, a later round pick? Well, someone coming. Well, someone. Well, someone maybe coming in free agency. We'll, we'll, we'll have. See. We'll have to do it. Uh, maybe in a couple of weeks' time, we'll have to do some sort of college prospect draft just to help. Just so guys can get, you know, accustomed to these names that are going to be hearing a lot throughout the process of the next couple of months. So maybe that's something we could we could look into, and we'll we'll, we'll try and piece up some of these some of these different prospects here and there. But no, I, I agree with everything you said about Garoppolo. He, he did look fantastic in his first outing as a 49er. Great stuff. Uh, and the draft season coming up, obviously we'll be doing a lot of content on the site in future just to flag that up, scout reports, blah, 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 right. all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I, I, think, I think we should also do a mock draft podcast because everyone loves that, mock draft podcasts. That would be fun, yeah. I, I, yeah. I must admit, I am, I am actually updating my t- meet the... So I actually wrote the article, Meet the 2018 Quarterback Class. I wrote that 3rd of July 2017, and I'm currently in the process of updating that, so that'll be something to look out for on the, on the site in the coming weeks, potentially. Cool. A, a little bit of a trailer there from, from Tom. Um, should we take a bus cross-country now? Yeah. yeah let's. Um, hmm. That's strange. This bus is going forwards and backwards repeatedly, and it's kind <laughs> of going over a bump. Oh, oh, of course. That's, that's the Giants have thrown Ben McAdoo under the bus regarding Eli Manning, and now the bus is going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over him. At some point, it's going to look like it's driving off, then come screaming back and straight back over McAdoo before driving off. Anyway, the Giants need a new head coach and general manager, and I'm going to ask you this, Tom, because I think you know more about this than me, but who would you like for um, either post? And bear in mind that as of today, and we've <clears> to discuss, there is general manager competition from Cleveland, although anyone who turns down a Giants for the Browns is loopy. So, I, for me, I think the two obvious candidates that I'd go for uh, it's got to be Scott Piolo, Scott Piolo uh, one guy who was around the Patriots organization. Obviously, Bill Belichick's got very close connections with the Mara family, with the, Patri- uh, with the Giants. His football life a couple of years ago, he got very emotional and choked up when thinking about the organization. So, the, the, you know those guys are still in touch. There's strong connections there. I think Scott Piolo is, is a very good talent evaluator, and that's something that the Giants are going to need. They're going to need someone who can evaluate talents and try and hit on the draft that's something that Jerry Reese was struggling to the last few years. And then my next obvious choice is uh, John Dorsey, who was released by the Chiefs earlier this season, which some sort of a surprise me because he's he's built an extremely competitive roster in Kansas City. I was quite shocked to see him go, and I believe uh, Scott Piolo, he's the uh, assistant GM for the Falcons, I believe. I believe that's that's the case. Hopefully I haven't bodged that. But those well, are my... you, you, You've been pronouncing his name wrong because he's Scott Pioli. It's an I, not an O. 
Um, Scott Pioli. And, oh, yeah. I thought, sorry, I thought he was he Italian. Is assi- ass- assistant GM at the Falcons. Well, that that's, would be Italian as well. That's correct. Yeah, he, he, yeah. He, he was also at Kansas City before Dorsey. So, you know, these, these are two guys who are veterans around the league, both well-known for their ability to spot talent. I think they'd both be good fits. And I think that the Giants, they need to get someone in there who can take care of personnel side and just leave the head coach to coach. I don't want to see another Josh McDaniels, Denver type situation if they do go for McDaniels. He, spoiler, he's a name on my list. I'm interested to hear, Nick, who have you got on your on your head coaching list for, for the Giants there? I'm, I've, do you know, I, I've entirely gone down the personal preference thing this and just actually, I've been scanning Twitter slightly instead of listening to you, so sorry about that. Um, and, Mike, the, Mike Tanya, who I um, often cite because I think he's a very, very intelligent, very wise mind, has, has been pointing out that, um, yeah, special teams coordinators don't really get a shot at the job yeah. um, for head coaching. I think even when um, John Harbour got it, he'd, ha- he'd been moved to defensive coordinator um, bef- or onto defence. I'm not sure if he was DC before to give him a chance at the head coaching round. Um, but I, so, and there was a name floating around late last year and I... We should probably start apologising to Kansas City fans at the moment because we're, we're going to—it's st- it's going to be basically everyone who was once involved there is going to end up in some other job the way we would have it because um, the Kansas City Chiefs um, Dave Tube Tube is um, Tubes probably won the Premier Tubes. I don't know Tubes. Oh, Americans, we'll call, we'll call, I can't we'll, pronounce your name. That was I'm his sorry. nickname. I'll say we'll call him his nickname. Could be Tubes, David Tube. Um, yeah, he's he seems to be one of the premier um, coordinators. He he's done quite a lot on them. Um, I mean, you you don't see so many of the um, great returns from the Chiefs and that sort of thing. And but what you and you do a little bit depending on how much they're involving Tyree Hill. But what you see is fantastic blocking. You see um, interesting schemes, and I, I think it's um I think it will be interesting to see if he gets to go. I want to see I want you know special teams of people too, isn't it? I want to see someone who has come from that. Um, side of things because what you see from the very best coaches is that they really prioritize special teams you look at how good the pat special teams has been for years yeah. you look at how good how well the rams are doing the, how good how well the eagles are doing on special teams it's it's a really underrated part of the game and I, and I think that there's a from what i can tell there's a bit a little bit of a hidden gem here into kansas city and dave too how about yourself well I, I think like you said special teams is the hidden yardage in the game it, it's a very important underrated aspect but for me, I think it's going to be the Patriots duo, either the DC, Matt Patricia. He's the heir apparent there in New England. He's been there since 2004 in the building. He's probably unlikely to leave because I think he's after Belichick's job. McDaniels is probably more of a safe bet, although I know he's kind of snake-bitten from his time in Denver. After that, I mean, Pat Sherman's a hot name. He's done extremely well developing Case Keenum and, and Sam Bradford and Donovan McNabb previously in his career. He's done well with the Vikings this year. I know there's kind of a bit of bad... Kind of like a bad spell around him from his time in. Well, yeah, in he's, he's been quite. He was, he's, he was diabolical in Cleveland. I mean, obviously who, Cleveland who, who, is what, diabolical, who, but who, who's not? Let's let's be honest. At this point in time, and we're going to talk about them later. But after that, I mean, I know Mike Smith. He's a favorite because he was close last time. But really, you want Mike Smith, current DC of the um of the Bucks, and then if you want to go the. And, column, no, go on. Because on Mike Smith, I'm gonna I'm gonna do Willow's job for him. Um, Tom Willoughby, our Falk, um, NCAA Falcon resident Falcons fan, I guess you'd call him, um, who went into bat for Mike Smith earlier this week. Because it is worth pointing out that the Falcons were good. For, I mean, it, obviously, it completely fell apart at the end. And yeah. that um, was it a four twelve season. But the Falcons were pretty good for several years. Um, they were they were regular game. sort of playoffs. Well, they were regular regularly in the playoffs, and I think. 
that is when when you're two ten, that looks fantastic. That looks incredibly appealing. I get that the Giants have higher expectations, but the Giants haven't really. Is it this this this? They've had something like two or three seasons over five hundred in the last. God knows how much they haven't had a very good no, record in regular season. They've been to playoff one, once in the last six years, which is terrible. And, and I mean, let's be honest now: the organization, the Giants, haven't fired a coach mid-season since 1976. The organization is very stable. It's a desirable marketplace, you know, location for coaches. They've got a lot of young pieces, and it's going to be a very, very coveted job. As such, I think they could potentially tempt two massive names from college football. David Shaw, the current Stanford Cardinals, like David uh, Shaw, yeah. current Stanford Cardinal, apologies, not Cardinals, Cardinal head coach, but he's kind of got his dream job there in Stanford, so he's unlikely. And then Jim Harbour from um, from Michigan. But <laughs> I feel like Harbour doesn't want to leave because of how bad he's been in, Har- in Michigan. He doesn't want that to be his legacy. And then people are going to throw out Nick Saban, but I, I, I don't think Nick Saban. And then finally, we will also get the annual John Gruden speculation. That's that's how we're going to play. Do you think that. we will for New York though? I mean, I, I can see that being for some place. I mean, there's a, I'm, I'm I sure that he will be linked with Tampa Bay as well when they inevitably sacked Dirk Cutter at the end of the season. Well, I remember but, I've I saw, I've seen a lot of reports that he is very interested or intrigued, I should say, in the Giants' coaching job. There's been a lot of reports about that. There's a lot of reports that he's interested in every single job That's that ever true. comes up. He, he was supposedly going to be taking the Tennessee coaching job for a while, to which, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's difficult to say. He's always going to be coached. But the, the problem is that he's been out of the league for, like, is it 10 years now? I mean, yeah. do you really want somebody who's been away from the game that long? I'm not too sure. Should we should we move on, perhaps? Well, yeah. And, and uh, uh, there's just kind of a footnote on that. It is great that the Giants will have Eli Manning starting again. Um, Manning is obviously a bottom third quarterback this season. His last game against Washington, he was 13 of 27 for 113 yards, no touchdowns and interception. So it's great for Giants fans to have him back behind centre. Um, but we were we were talking about um, hiring non-playing staff, and I ha- I I am struggling to find the energy to talk about Cleveland. Oh God. So you're you're doing this. Come on. Um, okay. So it's it's very difficult because you look at the Browns and there's never really been a team that's been this bad for so long. And I, I look at what Sashi Brown's done and I really like the two back-to-back draft classes he's put together in 2016, 2017. And obviously he's amassed a lot of draft capital this year to use. And why on earth, if the guy's built up so much draft capital... Would you not keep him in place? Because now you've got a guy coming in who potentially hasn't been drafting, or hasn't been scouting these players for the last two to three years of their college careers. So now you're throwing something at the deep end. And then this Cleveland Browns team, the roster that Sashi Browns built is not a zero-win team. There are a lot of worse rosters in the NFL right now than the Browns, and that has to go down to coaching staff. At the end of the day, you're not getting the necessary performance out of the talent on that roster to win a game. And I don't understand how on earth... That is Sashi Brown's fault. I don't see why he's been fired and why Hugh Jackson's kept his job, but I don't know. Maybe more will come out. Maybe he's still uh, in in the bad books for what happened with the Josh McCarron affair. But apparently I've, I've read reports that Hugh Jackson and Brown weren't talking for the past month, so maybe Brown, Jackson's got the owner's ear and has won this power battle, but it, it seems very strange to me. Yeah, it, it, it's quite interesting that, that a coach who's gone, what, 1-27 and 27 has managed to win a, a power battle. I think... Oh. I think anything's possible i mean cleveland is a complete a complete mess from top to bottom i think jimmy haslam hasn't had the strength of his convictions to go in with what he thought i think 
I think there's a fair case that, that sacking Sashi Brown is the wrong move to make. But I also think that the roster that Brown's built is, it's not a zero win roster, but right. it's not that good either. It's I mean, a, you've it's got a complete a, you've got you. Well, well, here's here's my problem with the draft picks that they've got. There's a there's a few more complementary pieces, and not quite as many kind of people who look like proper future starters. I think you've got, I mean, like Corey Coleman doesn't like a great pick anymore. Obviously, Garrett is a, is a great pick, but of course he is. Um, Jabril Peppers is one of the worst safeties in, in the league. He, he's um, always going to struggle. I, li- I, I like I like him. Yeah, I like Emmanuel Og, but I quite like Carl Nassib. Nassib yeah. um, Ogunbuji looks decent again, uh, defensive tackle, and Joku. Yeah, and jo- Joku looks good. I, I, I like the I like the Joku kick at the, uh, pick at the time, um, but there's a lot of uh, sort of people who will be kind of like filling out the bottom of the roster. People, I mean, people like Spencer Drango, Roderick Johnson, um, and it's just between that and between the fact that they're big big money um, wide receiver signing to help their new quarterback. Was Kenny Britt? Um, no problem with signing Kenny Britt. Don't rely on Kenny Britt. Um, they released Joe Hayden because they wanted to be younger at cornerback and promptly signed Jason McCourty, who's two years older. <laughs> There's a, and it just they aren't making the they're doing they the thing that they're doing best is accruing draft picks. But if you can't use those draft picks uh, as well. I mean, it's and not, the, prob- the problem is, I mean, and, and obviously Hugh Jackson, obviously Hugh Jackson has been absolutely diabolical and has a decent shout for being the most clueless um, head coach in the league. I mean, he he came in, his reputation coming in was a quarterback guru, wasn't he? I yeah, think he was. Yeah, yeah. He has no reputation now. I mean, he is. I, they're, they're, say, they're saying that he'll carry on coaching next year. Um, obviously, I mean, I, I don't know what. Do you reckon Jimmy Haslam just wants to have the number one overall draft pick every single year until? Until the inevitable heat death of the universe. Well, let's 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 think about it. Sashi Brown directly traded out the picks that led to Carson Wentz and uh, yeah. to Sean Watson, I believe. So there's a lot of potentially bad blood there. I mean, maybe Hugh Jackson says to the ownership, you know, look what I'm having to work with, and then look at Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson what they've done this year. You know, if you had a different GM, uh, this is pure speculation, but maybe that's something that that could be a conversation within the building. I'm not too sure. Should we maybe ha- perhaps wrap up there before we both go mental about the Browns? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Cleveland Browns. Get your act together um, is what we're saying. It, well, no, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of that time where you go back onto YouTube and you watch that Factory of Sadness clip that the guy put up, and that is basically the modern Cleveland Browns. Anyway, that's it, guys. Um, thanks for listening to the Inside Zone podcast. Um, I've been Nick Dunkerson. He's been Tom Like. Um, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com/slash/insidezone. Um, I've just had a horrible feeling that that's not actually the Twitter address. Just I can never remember this because it's the inside yeah, no, zone. It is slash yeah. the inside zone. Fantastic! I did remember and then just clowned myself. <laughs> um, you can find Tom at Tom Like NFL. Find me at Long Snaps Ranked because I try and have an awkward um, Twitter name so no one will follow me. Um, be sure to tune in next week. We'll have some more chat. But in the meantime, keep checking out the site. Plenty of stuff going up there, hopefully. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the website at www.theinsidezone.com. Till next time.